Protests are beginning to spring up around the country as more and more Americans are defying shelter-in-place orders. Today on the Livewire Politics Podcast, we discuss what life could look like when we flatten the curve. And welcome back again to the podcast. My name is David Stanky, and welcome. I hope you're having a great week. I know I am. Before we get started, I really wanted to thank everyone who downloaded the most previous podcast episode of Echo Chambers, A Social Media Crisis. We had quite a few downloads, not just domestically here in the U.S., but all around the world. We had multiple downloads in Europe, Australia, and uh, it's really great, you know, because, again, we were coming back off a year off and, you know, to build up that momentum again was going to be challenging. But I'm very, very pleased and very, very thankful uh, that we did get some great feedback about the episode. And, you know, we just can't wait to put out some more content. So uh, that said, let's jump into it. So it's almost impossible that I could not make at least one episode covering the coronavirus, a.k.a. COVID-19. And what I wanted to do is not spend this time, you know, discussing statistical models, projections, uh, different indicators, because depending on where you're listening to at this given moment, this could or could not even uh, relate to you. So I wanted to spend this time maybe talking about the philosophical angst that many of us are feeling, uh, look at the protests that are starting to pop up around the country, and maybe, just maybe, talk about what this nation can look like after we have flattened the curve. So topic number one are the current protests that have going on around the country. And, you know, when I was thinking about adding this topic to the podcast episode, there were only a couple smaller cities that were engaging in protests. And since then, um, there have been protests in Michigan, Ohio, North Carolina, Minnesota, Utah, Virginia, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Oregon, Maryland, Idaho, Texas, Arizona, Colorado, Montana, Washington, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. And if you look at that list, you'll notice that these states have both Democratic and uh, Republican governors. And, you know, we even are seeing this week, uh, the state of Georgia is going to be lifting significant bans for a lot of their businesses. And, you know, the only point that I wanted to bring up is, you know, there, there are 22 million people that are unemployed right now. And most all of the job gains that we've had in the past 10 years are going to be washed dry. And we're seeing unemployment levels at the rate uh, equal to the Great Depression right now. People are late on their rent payments. They're late on their mortgage payments. They're late on their car payments and credit card payments. Um, People are struggling right now, and I understand fully that there is a uh, an angst to get things back up and running. Right now, people are hurting big time. But what I'm seeing in these rallies, unfortunately, is I'm seeing an issue uh, taking a dramatic political turn. I'm seeing signs that you know say, "Give me liberty or give me death." I'm seeing signs that say, "This is America, not North Korea." I saw a couple signs in Huntington Beach that said social distancing equals communism and coronavirus is a lie. I just am having a hard time wrapping my head around the arguments that are being made because mostly I would say most of the folks that are protesting right now, it's not that they're ill-informed, but the messaging all of a sudden has turned political. I would hope that these same folks that are protesting right now in the spirit of civil liberties also protested in the early 2000s with the Patriot Act or FISA 
warrantless wiretaps. I would hope that those same issues would be as important to them as the imposed tyrannical state that we're facing today, or so-called tyrannical state. I think most of us would come together at this point and say, this isn't an overreach of government. Right now, we're all trying to do the best we can with the information we have to limit the spread, to protect our most vulnerable among us, and to get this economy back up and running again in such a way where we don't make a mistake and have to regress to back to shutting down once more. Because I can only imagine how much worse that is going to be in the long term if we don't make these decisions in a thoughtful and careful way. And while we're on that topic, very quickly, you might have seen the proposed legislation that was put forth on the House floor this past week by Cory Booker, Ilan Omar, and others. Uh, It's a two-part piece of legislation, one in which would provide a $2,000 monthly stimulus for a minimum of six months up to 12 months uh, to cover a lot of uh, folks that were not covered in the first stimulus package, students, for example, that were claimed as dependents, um, et cetera, et cetera. And the other portion was on uh, rent cancellation and mortgage cancellation for the duration of COVID-19. And Hopefully the situation will kind of garner a renewed interest in monetary policy and fiscal policy. Because, you know, for me, this is, this is, I mean, really interesting political science and economic stuff. But, you know, here's the deal. Right now, we're running a $966 billion deficit. And we also have a $23 trillion national debt. And within a given moment, it looks like we can easily conjure up $2.2 trillion for a large-scale stimulus package. And, you know, I think we have to understand that this is borrowed money. And the decisions that we're making now, uh, while maybe offering a short-term temporary relief, we really have to keep asking ourselves what this is going to do for our future generations uh, who ultimately are going to be the bearers of that debt. You know, if our individual households, for example, ran like the federal government, we would be completely out of luck because right now the federal government is spending about $4.8 trillion. Uh, its revenue right now is about $3.863 trillion. Now imagine after you're running your daily household like the federal government. The problem is you don't have the printing press the federal government does. So I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think this should hopefully spark some type of interest going forward. Um, You know, so we'll see. We'll see exactly what's going to be presented and what is actually going to pass. I do foresee some minor or moderate stimulus continuing based on, you know, each individual state need. Um, But, you know, I think what reasonable uh, mortgage lenders and landlords can do is work with their customers. And, you know, if it's mortgages, maybe, you know, put a freeze temporarily, add those payments to the back end of the mortgage. You know, I, I think individual companies can make those determinations because ultimately they're they're responsible. Canceling rent payments for up to one year is a terrible, terrible idea. And not only because this is my industry that I'm in, uh, I write budgets, I look at financials, I know exactly where that rent is going. And nearly 91% of that rent dollar is going to service debts, pay taxes for local municipalities, uh, service other industries that are interconnected uh, with multifamily. You know, we have to understand that we are more interconnected now as an economy as ever before. 
And when we are making these type of policy decisions, we've got to think about the entire aspect of what that decision is going to do and who is it ultimately going to impact. And, you know, this is a perfect example of a domino effect taking place. In the proposed legislation, there is an option for a, uh, we'll call it a so-called relief fund for landlords and property owners um, if this were to pass, uh, where, you know, losses could be covered. And I just looked at that and I had to chuckle because that fund would be tapped out the very moment it would be funded. So more than likely, it's not going to pass. It, you know, looks good for optics and, you know, campaign promises. Uh, look what we did, or at least tried to do during COVID-19. But uh, I don't think that that's probably going to get enough legwork. Um, so that said, I think it's nice to switch gears right now and get into our second topic of the day. And, and that is what will America look like or what could America look like once we flatten the curve, once our businesses start to reopen and once restrictions are lifted. And again, this what if or what are we going to look like scenario is really more on a philosophical perspective. Uh, It's not so much on our job growth or, you know, what the price of oil might be, which by the way, if you probably saw, it's now trading at zero dollars or actually negative uh, 37 cents a barrel for the first time ever in life. And, you know, I'm 35 and, you know, any of us that grew up, uh, you know, even in the, in the early to mid two thousands, you know, we saw huge oil spikes at, you know, a hundred dollars plus a barrel. So this is definitely strange times. Anyway, I digress. All right. So the first philosophical shift we could see is maybe a new form of patriotism. And I wanted to read a excerpt from a professor, uh, Mark Lawrence Schrod, and, He wrote, when it is all said and done, perhaps we will recognize their service as true patriotism, saluting our doctors and nurses and saying thank you for your service, as we do now with our military veterans. We will give them guaranteed health benefits and corporate discounts and build statues and have holidays for this new class of people who sacrifice their health for the health of others. Perhaps, too, we will finally start to understand that patriotism is more about cultivating a health of a community rather than blowing up someone else's community. Maybe the demilitarization of American patriotism and love of community will be one of the great benefits that come out of this awful mess. And, you know, I would largely agree with that. The only area that I would augment would be in addition to our military in harmony with our veterans. I think you can have both, but I think redefining what it means to be a patriot uh, would be a great benefit coming out of this awful mess. Second topic we wanted to talk about is perhaps a revisited trust in our public institutions. And this is a really difficult topic because, you know, again, if you have been around... (laughs) the last 15 to 20 years, we've experienced a massive amount of distrust with many of our public institutions. You know, in 20 years, I I put together a quick list of items that have contributed to my distrust in our public institutions. And that would be the following. Enron, the 2000 election, WorldCom, Arthur Anderson, Bertie Madoff, subprime mortgages, BP oil spill, WikiLeaks, Edward Snowden, WMDs, bailouts, Volkswagen, Wells Fargo, Lehman Brothers, 
Hurricane Katrina, Abu Ghraib, Benghazi. These are just a few of the experiences that I, that I know many of us have uh, had some awareness of, but you know, they have contributed to my personal distrust and faith in our public institutions. And, you know, during the 1950s, you know, our trust in our public institutions and our government was really at an all-time high. And we have seen a steady decline uh, decade over decade in the amount of trust and faith that we have in our own government, as well as many of our own public institutions. And that is even extended to our subject matter experts, our public health experts, and our infectious disease experts. You know, there's a healthy skepticism in this country, and I could probably do an entire episode on the lack of trust in government and why. Foreshadowing, I will. But there has to be a healthy balance between skepticism and trust. And I think, you know, where we were as a nation leading up to this pandemic, you know, we didn't take too many things too seriously. And, you know, that is a byproduct of, you know, having relative peace for years, while at the same time having one of the most affluent societies the world has ever seen. And consumer technology has allowed us to get comfortable. You know, we really haven't had to worry in most recent memory about, you know, oil shortages or skyrocketing unemployment um, for at least 10 years. You know, we haven't seen skyrocketing interest rates and, you know, even terrorism to some degree has really gotten in the back of the mind. Uh, it's not something we think about on a on a conscious level uh, anymore. So hopefully when we're all out of this, we can still maintain a healthy skepticism, but also hopefully an increased uh, level of trust and respect for uh, our subject matter experts. So the last and final topic we wanted to discuss on today's episode is really a call for unity. And this is a little idealistic, but, you know, I think that there's something that can come out of this that we haven't seen in over 50 years. And, you know, this has been an extraordinary shock to our system. And, you know, there is a potential to see a potential break in our 50-year cyclical pattern of escalating political and cultural polarization that we've been really trapped in. And hopefully we'll see a, you know, a shift to a greater national solidarity. Uh, I know it's idealistic, but I think it can happen. Right now we have a common enemy scenario. And in my lifetime, the only time that I've seen us have a common national unity was right after 9-11. You can look at all of the the polling and all of the, um, you know, media coverage. We were united in that sense. And hopefully, you know, the weight of this uh, pandemic can get us, you know, to kind of just relieve the weight of this bitter polarization that really we've been carrying uh, for decades now. And hopefully this will be the start of something in 2020. Again, it is idealistic. And if you would have asked me this a week ago, I probably would have been more idealistic about this. But just looking at some of these uh, protests that we're seeing around the country. Um, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't see a unity even in the protests. I see a political division of those folks that are going to protest. And, um, you know, so I, I, I hope, but I, again, I will just have to wait and see, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I am looking forward to uh, the things that do bring us together. You know, sports is one of those 
things that, you know, I know brings a lot of families together and a lot of friends and, you know, the performing arts, you know, comedians, musicians, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of areas of our society that I think are going to come in and start to heal some of these wounds together. Um, you know, I, am looking forward to not having to get on a call and, and wonder if I'm on mute or not. Um, you know, there's going to be so much good that comes out of this. And I, I think we've all had an opportunity to really, you know, press a much needed reset button on our collective apathy and societal division. But, you know, we, we've got to, we've got to want it. We've got to come out of this wanting, uh, to have some type of national unity, uh, and really appreciate the things that maybe we've taken for granted. Uh, I know that we can unleash a brand new America that values builders, innovators, and yes, content creators, a nation that rewards virtue over vice and a nation that looks back in this time and says, we find everyone's contribution to be equally as important from our grocery store workers to our bus drivers, our delivery drivers, our fast food workers, our garbage collectors, our sanitation workers, and our healthcare professionals. You know, all of these uh, essential jobs right now are pushing this economy forward. And, you know, I hope we look back on this time and, and realize that we were all in this together. And what we got out of this was far better than anything that we would have ever imagined. And that brings an end to another episode of the Livewire Politics Podcast. My name is David Stanky, and thank you again so much for joining us today. We'll have a new episode next week as well, hopefully uh, either Wednesday or Thursday of the following week. Uh, Subject matter is to be determined, so look out for that. We appreciate it so much. And all of the support uh, that we have on our social media platforms, anytime you can share and recommend uh, the podcast to others, it's just such a joy to know that, you know, these ideas are spreading and we're creating a community of, of thoughtful citizens. We have created a Patreon account, so if you do feel like donating a few of your hard-earned financial or stimulus dollars to the podcast to help keep the lights on, uh, a link will be provided in the show notes as well as uh, a link on our website as well. Uh, So with that, hope everybody has a wonderful week. Take care of each other, be safe, be considerate, and spread kindness anytime you can.